Hello everyone and welcome to episode number 31. Keep your road ahead with the Road Ahead Cafe. I am very few, the beautiful project that Peter and fellows have put together that our lives get improved each and every single week. Cafe creators that I am having the only going to share with you, my fearless friend, a bit about them. And we have three ordinary curve ups some powerful insights and practical hacks that will take your daily life on the road ahead to the next level, something new and useful with every episode. And I want you to meet my guests. And we have Rick Gabrielli, who is a passionate father, husband, visionary coach, mentor, author, podcaster, and American wellness entrepreneur. His mantra is love over fear. Netherlands, and as a change facilitator, he works on the crossroad of business coaching, storytelling, college education, personal considers fear as false evidence appearing real, which I can stand more about this great view. And then we have Peter, who is there wants to distill the wisdom of 1,000 sages, only an effective thing which any person can use that they are having. I am very pumped up about this topic as well, Peter. Maybe you can share a bit with us towards uh, uh, our talk later on. Welcome, gentlemen. What a pleasure to have you today. Thank you, Roxy. Great to be with you. Thank you. My dear gentlemen, can you please tell us before anything else? How did you guys meet? Because you are from uh, different parts of the world, at least Frank is in a different continent. What is your guys' story? We should, we should mention that it's mostly Rick's fault, okay? I'm just saying, just to get that disclaimer out there. I'm sitting on the side of the street doing my own thing. I have my cup. Along comes Rick, puts some pennies in, and then says, hey, I have an idea, and I'll let him take it from there. <laughs> This one was empty too, you see? <laughs> okay, Rick, it's your turn, man. Thank you, boys. Thank you, Roxy. So I was on this event. Uh, it was a mindfulness leaders event, 1, 8 p.m. on a, I think, Tuesday night. And uh, there were a few hundred people on it. A gentleman out of California brought a bunch of mindfulness experts and fans together. So um, that's how Peter and I met. Next thing you know, we were connected on LinkedIn and a lot of common threads and we just connected instantly. And then um, uh, our good friend Veronica from the Netherlands, who uh, also is Romanian and manages a network called Spin Ideas in the Netherlands, had, uh, had a Thursday morning, I will say 6 a.m. New York time. So I was ambitious enough to join that. I got on one week and I and and Frank Vandenhorst was the presenter and he was uh, he was giving some great education in between the networking events in this one hour meeting and then he had put up a post on LinkedIn after the event which I commented one of the stories uh, was about his dad who was a magician I was very fond of Frank and I got connected next thing you know I bring Peter and Frank together cuz I thought that they would be uh they would have some good common ground and and i'll let you frank tell the rest of the story from there when indeed i had a, i told a story as a speaker uh, about my father who 
uh, was born not deaf, but in the Second World War, he became deaf. And he um, he was hard hearing. And he he did something extraordinary. I, thought, I said in the story, my father, the magician, because he could read lips. And one day we were going to my grandmother and we were waiting in the, in, in the queue, in the car. And then he started to lip read. And the woman in front of us in the car was reading a story to her children. And I said, Dad, what are you doing there? Yeah, I'm just telling you the story. She's, uh, she's telling, uh, she's reading, yeah, she was reading a book. And it was one of my favorites. And from that moment, I said, okay, this is magical. So that's actually the story, the fact that someone could do something like that. And I was a little guy at the time. So I was, I, I was really flabbergasted. So that was the link to what we, what I said was, uh, what I learned from my father, uh, my sister and I was what we call active listening. You know, first ask, I always, I always had to look him in the face when we asked because he couldn't hear us coming, but he was razor sharp and he was very good in, as a psychologist, very good, but you have to have a active listening attitude in life. And actually that's, that's the story, how Peter and I, uh, and Rick especially, uh, got connected and I think that somehow clicked and actually it was uh, our discussion started and we had an instant click and then uh, we said well why don't we start a podcast why don't we you know we have so much to tell so much to share in this world in this COVID period why don't we start telling our journey telling about us telling about what what we think might help people from our background and so on. So that's how it initially started, just as an experience with three, indeed, ordinary guys. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to work out. It's only been 34 episodes, so, you know, I don't know where it's going to go, this thing. But every week I come there and I'm surprised that these two gentlemen come up with new ideas, new things, new ways of seeing stuff, things I've never heard of before. And then I sort of babble on for a few minutes and then, they let me, you know, because they're nice guys. And uh, seems to be working in that way. You know, we're all on the, the same road, the road to find out, as Cat Stevens put it. And wherever you are, that's where you pause and sit with us for a few minutes. We try and keep it, you know, moving and, and under 30 minutes. And we just share with you some ideas on that have helped us and that maybe will make the road ahead a little easier for yourself. It, it's really that simple. That's simple. Well said. This is beautiful. And <laughs> it's such a nice, wonderful story that I truly believe that every one of us should at least write one book. And I know that you gentlemen have been in this area and to have one podcast because these stories are the stories that change the world for the better. Our own experiences, it doesn't need to be anything too complex or too big. We just need to put uh, our heart there. And uh, since we are talking about the heart, you know, uh, Rick has been on my show previously and he has made me emotional. And I have got to thank him for this because I have had food, food for thought for many months since then. Rick, can you please share with us your amazing view on how to find that middle ground between the heart, the mind to get ourselves into that uh, successful lives that we all, we all want, but uh, that sometimes uh, we stand in our own ways? Sure. Thank you, Roxy. You know, I, I remember that day 
And I remember watching you kind of quiet down and, and just take it all in. And it was beautiful. And I appreciate sharing that, uh, that moment with you. It was really profound for me also. And, uh, I have not ever met anyone like you. I have described you as a living angel of, you know, delivering other people's messages. So um, I've been in sales and marketing for over 35 years, and I've never met anyone who takes someone else's message and delivers it and promotes it so well with such love in such an ongoing way. So that's why I thought you know, the guys would love to be on this show with you and share this. So in answering your question about the heart, you know, it just feels so much better when we do things from here rather than from here. Sometimes they have to start here, but um, a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, the three of us is to try to bring a message from the heart because it just resonates with people so much better. It vibrates so much deeper and it allows them to really feel something special. We want our audience and your audience to feel better about themselves or the journey ahead after listening to us. That is complex and it is both um, very uh, simple. And uh, I wanted to ask you, um, gentlemen, what would you say that your biggest most passionate topic with your podcast is well, what was what was the one that rated highest guys it was um don't take things personally yeah. don't take anything personally yep okay yeah. i am loving this now you got me uh, changing the topic of the talk live here <laughs> on uh, on youtube as well gentlemen why do you think that we should not take things personally? So what we did, we have a segment called All About, and we have a segment called You Asked Us. And in each segment, we give it a little different topic. And this was behind the words. People say, don't take things personally. And what Frank and Rick and I try and do and say, well, does this make any sense? Is it a silly thing? Is there something to this? And so we just explore from our own ways things about that. question I ask myself is, what if I was unoffendable? You're an idiot. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> Doesn't offend me. You did a lousy job. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's one way of looking at it. That's fine. What if nothing offended? We just choose to be unoffendable. What would our lives be like? And so that was my experiment. Rick and Frank can share their perspectives because uh, they'll be better. <laughs> Good, Frank. Actually, what happens if you take things personally in a positive way is that you're open for feedback and open for someone else. Actually, it is an ineffective way to start to communicate because, for example, if you give me feedback and I see that over and over again uh, with my college students, I say, yes, sir, but I didn't mean it that way or uh, yes, she did something like that because they have to work together in groups. Well, everybody who has been to a college or whatever work together in groups, you know, there are always differences. And before you, you know, someone is really ahead of the team and is doing something but another person doesn't like, is downgrading someone, etc. That happens. So the thing is, 
how can you deal with that in a much more effective way? So actually, you could say taking things personal is a kind of call sign. It's not that, it's, oh, my God, I take it personally. You say, what happens Why you take things personally? What that has to tell that situation to you instead of reaching out, blaming the whole game, you know, and using uh, avoid communication, yeah, accusing someone else. That's mostly ineffective. So that's why I think why do you take things personally is such an interesting topic. I have a good story on this. So right here in this kitchen, when my boys were little, they were nine and three. So Alex comes home, the older one comes home from school one day and he's crying. And so we're standing in the kitchen. What happened? And then he says that this kid in school called him a name. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. And so he's crying and the little one is next to him and he's, you know, patting him. And I said, oh, you are. And I called him, I, I called him that name. I said, you are, you know, and I'm even a bigger. And I, so I, I, I basically said, I agree with the kid. You are this. And I said to Max, you are a little one and I'm a big one. And they, 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 they were shocked at first. And then they started to laugh. And then we had this long discussion about just because someone else sees you as this, you might be that to them, but it doesn't mean that you have to believe it in yourself. One man's junk is another man's treasure. You know, you know, you see one guy, he's your best friend. You see one same person sees him. He's their worst enemy. But so I looked at it more like what, what Peter said, um, you know, not taking anything personally. Yes, we agree. Whatever you said I am, that's what I am because it's through your lens. So, yeah. so how could we know if we haven't said something or acted in a certain way? So, so if you think about this, not taking anything personally, it can also mean not giving anything personally so that when I say something to you, even if I compliment you and say you're awesome, it may not necessarily be true to someone else or even to you. So I think that you know, we think of not taking anything personally as a negative, but by the same token, we also can't take compliments too seriously too, so that we then either work less or become complacent. So I think that our own view of ourselves is the most important thing. And what I think of me is very important. And that's, I think, at the root of this. And of course, it's, you know, from a famous book, but we love breaking these things down like that. So, you know, as Peter mentioned, uh, behind the words, we've had a lot of fun with this. I think it's one of the best segments on the show. I can see why. And this is so powerful, Rick. Thank you for mentioning this because we cannot be depending on any exterior factor, even if it's positive or if it's negative, because you are so right. If you're looking for compliments, you expect those compliments to make you feel better. Therefore, your state, your interior state gets to be depending on something else, on someone else. But then right. if you're waiting for the compliments, you are going to be very uh, affected if you get some negative uh, feedback in return. And I know I had my share of people pleasing and wanting to be that uh, perfect little person that would not even disturb someone by raising a finger. I would be very, very uh, submissive 
and think that my only role on this planet is to just uh, make sure that I am loved. And I was in so much pain. And I'm so glad that you said this. We cannot be depending on anything from the exterior to make us feel good. And gentlemen, I wanted to ask you, what would you say that is the best approach, strategy, process to find that interior balance? Because I really enjoyed what Peter said earlier, that uh, he is both an idealist but also pragmatic. And I love it that you have this balance inside you. Maybe you can start, Peter, by telling us a bit about balance and how to get to feel good in your own skin and state. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely unbalanced. And anybody out there would like to send some compliments, some, hey, you're really good and stuff, I'll accept them. I usually prefer a safe, warm fantasy to reality because you know, reality can hurt sometimes. But the thing is, I don't think you want to try and manage things. You're on board a cruiser, you're heading towards a destination, the captain's got everything under control. <laughs> and you're running around, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know, we went a little this way, we went a little that way. I, uh, how we, you don't need to micromanage because at a deeper level, each of us has all the answers we need it's just the conditioned brain that gets in the way. And you don't have to change that. Just love that. You get upset. Just love that part of you that's upset. You feel good about yourself. That's all right. Love that part that feels good about yourself. You can find out everything you need to know simply by asking yourself one question. Where is my most fulfilling path forward here? That's all you really have to do, because this is how you're designed. The non-conscious mind research shows us continually informs the conditioned brain. Hey, here's how you find fulfillment here. Here's how you find fulfillment there. And it's the conditioned brain that worries about it and says, I don't, I don't know. I got fears and doubts and stuff like that. Just love it for it and say, okay, I hear your fears and doubts, right? Okay. What if we asked the deeper self something? What would it say? So don't balance. Don't try and control. Don't try to improve yourself because yourself is fine. Just have some compassion for the conditioned brain and say, hey, let's just see. Let's just see what comes up next when you ask this question. That's my approach. It's becoming instinctive. It's the one I share, the Pathfinder's question, because it's the one that transmutes things. Because the moment the conditioned brain stops just for a second, pauses, asks, and then just looks at what happens next, boom, things begin to change for you. That's powerful. What do you think, Frank? In 2018, I worked with a friend in Nepal, in Kathmandu. I came across a sign, and the sign said the following, beyond right and wrong, there is a garden, I'll meet you there, stated Rumi. Rumi is one of the most well-known Persian mystic Sufi masters from the 13th century. Somewhere beyond right and wrong, there is a garden. I'll meet you there. The whole topic about taking things personally, about being fearful, is that you're not in that garden because you're constantly willingly or not, evaluating right and wrong. Actually, you hardly can do anything because if you look at this world, 
it's all about right and wrong. It's about judgment. It's about condemnation and being, oh, how many, how many likes do you got? How many, uh, how does, does your show rate positive on social media? Just for example, which is as such fine, but no, that is part of not being in that garden. Yeah. So if Peter refers to his pathfinding and his most fulfilling way, and I talk about my inner guide, you find that inner guide in the garden, beyond right and wrong. Well, I was walking in Kathmandu, and if you've ever been in India in that region, there are a lot of people who appear to our standards very poor. So I thought to myself, how do I apply this thinking, looking around and seeing what happens to me? But many of those people, you know, so they were smiling to me. And, and I said, oh, how can you smile while well, you don't have any clothes on, something like that? You see, I was constantly evaluating what happened there in regarding to my own mindset. So the most elevating thing I got from that trip was, Frank, this is a confrontation with your mindset, the way you were brought up, you were brought up in the West, and, you know, we can't complain, but we have running tap water, we have so much more to that, refer to that way of living than, than they have there, to our opinion, to my opinion. That my teaching was go and find that garden. And find that garden is not somewhere outside. Of course, you have beautiful places. The garden is inside. It's beyond being right and wrong. There you find the peace. There you find the tranquility. And there you pathfinder or whatever you call it, your spirit, your soul talks to you and gives you all the answers you want to have. What is your take on this, Rick? Well, you know, Roxy, this is just a good example of you know, how blessed we three are as I'm listening to Peter and Frank and I'm just sitting back as though I am the student and I'm the lucky one. I'm here with the three of you today. So whatever I did in this life and in past lives to get to this day today, wow, boy, am I thankful that I get to observe this and just be a part of something like this as the casual observer. So I think that we can basically boil all of human suffering down to, you know, are we going to judge and use, you know, our ego to see or our heart? And are we going to just use true vision as opposed to eyes to see? And so we don't need eyes for that type of seeing. And the heart is seeing it. So the whole thing I was thinking about while these two gentlemen were talking was connection. You know, that's my thing. And uh, and I believe, you know, not only uh, during Peter's story, but Frank's story, all of the people in our lives are only looking for one thing from us. And that is, what is connection to them? So as we walk this journey, what we have to do is think, what is that person looking for? What can I do to support that? It's never about me. It's always about the other person. And when we lead with that, intention, we can never go wrong. Yeah, I think I think Rick has some good points there. And um, Frank, I, have we not been billing him every week for these sessions? I thought that's why he was learning stuff from us because we were, you know, we have to talk about it, Peter, because, you know, uh, we have to settle the account. I, I, I it's, it's going too rapidly. We have to support. I think we have to go get a support group for uh, for Ricky boy, because 
man, man. Yeah, but he hit upon, Rick, you've hit upon a, an important point, that connection. There was a 1994 study from Harvard where they found that people who made major life changes all belonged to a community, which sometimes would just be one or two people or a larger community, which supported, which made possible those changes simply being by supportive, simply being by encouraging and, and sharing of ideas and that. And in a sense, we're all peer coaches. Every time we turn and, and, and just listen to someone's story or offer a piece of advice, and you know that advice doesn't have to be right either. The advice you give doesn't have to be profound. It will not only help the individual because you've heard them and you're trying to help and they pick up on that, which makes them feel better inside. It also actually helps you according to studies. Uh, these are the important things. And we mustn't be afraid of trying to find personal fulfillment. This is the most unselfish thing you can do because if you head for the most fulfillment, we know from our studies that you get most fulfilled when you see other people benefiting too. You don't have to do personal fulfillment at the expense of others. In fact, if you go for the most fulfillment, it always mutually benefits other people. So um, my being here benefits me, well, actually probably far more than Rick's because I'm a bit of a basket case. But and, and Frank, the insight that he has, I don't have that. This is what I love about doing it. It's the only reason I come here. I don't think anyone's watching, are they? After today, they will be. <laughs> oh, but you, know, you know, Roxanne, uh, what's interesting, if you just listen to this discussion until now, even I hear new things. And I didn't talk about what I saw at, in Kathmandu, somewhere beyond right or wrong, there's a garden, I'll meet you there. It just pops up in my mind, and it just that's the way we work. The thing is, the first question is, how did you guys meet? We have a theme, we have a topic about optimism or whatever question you have or a book talk. We pick a book and then even we don't discuss with each other what kind of book we take, you know? And it's never the same. It's always different. And it's from a different angle. I mean, this is such an intuitive trio. I haven't had that experience before in my life. We don't have discuss anything about it. Yeah, I'm somebody lost in, in, in translation with the guys. You know, they're running so fast. I have to keep up uh, the speed. But and uh, Peter is helping tremendously to 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 keep us structured and so on. But actually, that's the main thing. It just is an intuitive, flowing uh, way to communicate with each other, and I think that's tremendously valuable. I love that so much. The chemistry that you guys have is contagious. <laughs> I have this beautiful vibe, a very inspiring thing that is going on when I listen to your guys' talks and when I see Frank's great posts on LinkedIn, something just clicks in my mind. Even if I maybe take five seconds to read a post, I get inspired and I love that. And I think that everyone should get in touch with you to hear at least one episode and they'll be lifelong fans because this is how it goes when three bright minds come together. I think that you create more than a mastermind. You know, Roxy, the thing is, I mean, we say it, but the thing really is, we're just ordinary guys. We're complete idiots in our lives. We have to face the ordinary mundane challenges of putting out the garbage and relationships and work and 
all the things everyone else does. We're just three ordinary guys. It just happens that sometimes these ideas percolate out of our head and we're hoping that occasionally they can add something to somebody uh, so that their road ahead is a little clearer because it, it's hard sometimes to relate to gurus and we're definitely not gurus because they seem to live in another a star plane you know and we don't and that's what i meant in the beginning when you spoke about there's so many sages out there and they tell you so much stuff and there's books written and that and there's there's tons of research by scientists on this and that can't we just distill it distill it into one simple thing we can do which will begin to help us uh, find the path ahead a nicer path, an easier path, a more fulfilling path. That's all. I love this. And this <laughs> brought me a memory from um, uh, not too long ago when uh, I decided that I wanted to simplify mindset. As you say, gurus are amazing and I get inspired and I learn from them a lot. But making it simple for people that maybe don't have that much time to put into courses and too many days to study, how can we get to be that messengers that build, as Rick says, the connection that I think that is the number one human trait that we all long for? And I wanted to ask you, gentlemen, what do you think about this paradigm that our mind is, since we were talking about um, being uh, connected and being balanced, but not really listening to your heart, maybe using your mind in the process, because we have these very strong core beliefs. Maybe call them needs. We need to evolve. But at the same time, we need to be safe. We love our comfort zone. We need to be focusing on ourselves because we cannot give from an empty bag. But then again, we need a community. As you said, Peter, what would you say that uh, the best approach to deal with our mindset for someone that is at the beginning of their journey with personal development is so not to make it too, uh, so not to put it too overwhelming for them. I, I really want to get Rick and Frank in here because their ideas are always on mark. I would say the simple model I use is the, the, the non-conscious self is the part that gathers all the information and really wants you to be fulfilled. The conditioned brain, which has picked up all of these limiting beliefs, wants you to be protected. And therein is the dilemma. The brain's interference with the guidance of the inner self or the pathfinder. And that's what you want to work on. Any community, any like minds that you can join together, it's why I want to build a, a peer coaching community online where people can come who share the same ideas, who are trying to use pathfinding, and they want to hear, how do you, how do you use it in regular life when the tap uh, doesn't work or when, when I have to have an argument with my wife? What, 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 what do you do? How do you use this? Always begin here. Always begin by asking that same question. Rick is like the master of connection. Uh, you should speak to that, Rick. You really should give that out. Thank you, Peter. I think that, you know, we all have formulas. And so mine would be to reach out. And, uh, you know, during the pandemic, there was so much isolation. There still is. But I think it was really 
so difficult to manage for us because we weren't used to it. And so my response is the same. If you're new on this journey and this is a new thing for you and you maybe you feel alone or like nobody cares or you don't have a journey or a path, you're not prepared for this type of work yet, reach out to somebody. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be the person standing next to you at the deli counter. It could be someone, you know, uh, just grabbing a cab alongside you and just ask them, you know, what's going on in their life. So it can, it all starts with that first question. And, uh, you know, I think that the thing that we've learned and then also proven is one person can make a difference. And sometimes that person is you. And all you have to do is say hello to someone. And as Frank said, he, you know, made eye contact with those people in Kathmandu. And, and, and he was so uh, surprised by the joy in their eyes. And so I think to leave you with this, we're all one. So when I look into your eyes, Roxy, if I think of you as me and treat you that way, I'm probably going to uh, be very successful at not only finding the path forward, but also uh, making yours easier, which in turn makes mine easier. Interesting thing is uh, when I hear you talk is that uh, it reminds me of a, um, a drawing. You said, this is your comfort zone and there is where the magic happens. And yeah. there's an arrow, it's a kind of a bridge. And that reminds me, it's okay, let's be honest. I like my comfort zone. I like when I come home, I like, I like the fact that my house is there. I like the fact that my car is working when I want to drive uh, to the grocery stores or something like that. So comfort zone is not a bad thing, but if you st are stuck into your comfort zone and are afraid to move forward, so actually doing what life is all about. Life is what I said on, on my website and also on my LinkedIn profile, change is the essence of life. Everything is changing, always. Sometimes very, very, very small. You hardly see it. You have to have a close look. You have to have a microscope, yeah? We cannot see our bacteria on our hand. If you go into a microscope, you can see all the living things on your hands, for example. So the interesting thing is you have to be aware of it, to have to be conscious of it. That means that you have to have an open mind. So prerequisite number one, have an open mind. Okay, have an open mind that can be very anxious. So we talked about moving forward and I, I, I told something about the Kaizen method. And the Kaizen method very briefly is take very small steps. Take very small, uh, an American Dr. Maurer wrote a very fascinating book about it. And he tells a story about an overweight young lady who didn't want to go to the gym, went to the gym, uh, quit in, in, in two weeks. It was too much of a, of a hassle to do that. Then he started to help her to go, don't use remote control to turn off the television set, but to go over to the television set and push the buttons. And you say, well, that's damn simple. Yes, that's simple, but it was the first thing to move, to start her moving because she knew she didn't want to have the television set on the whole night because she couldn't sleep. So there was some gain in it. This example is a way of moving forward in a very simple way, make small steps. That would be my advice.
And um, another thing is, the last thing is, remembering we, 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 we book talk was about Richard Beck book, The Reluctant Messiah. It's a wonderful book. And there are different, uh, very interesting quotes in that. And I, I, I um, uh, invite your audience to have, uh, to, to go to that uh, the episode. And in the book, there is one quote, and I repeat it here. Learning is remembering the things you already know. Teaching others is remembering them they know also. This captures for me the essence you already know. And change means daring to take the next steps to explore it. And it's natural built into your system because if you have kids, you know they want to explore everything. You know what I'm afraid of, Roxy? I'm afraid that, that you underestimate the life-changing effect that you have in this podcast because of your authenticity, your character comes out. And underneath the words, when the people watch, if they just understand that they couldn't see those wonderful traits unless they were within them too, I think a transference occurs. So I, I want to make sure that you appreciate that because we don't want you to stop. This is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much, Peter. I, I appreciate you so much, you and Frank and Rick. And this is life-changing for me because I've taken some great notes here, which I'm going to advise our fearless friends as well to get this uh, YouTube recording one, one more time and write down these life-changing thoughts. It may not be too much. We may sometimes think that, oh, it's only two millimeters, but take those two millimeters and walk 100 meters. It may not seem too much at first, but as you go along in the new direction, you see a completely different perspective. And this is the beauty of connecting. What a privilege to have you guys here. And I wanted to ask you a bit about fear because Frank has this great view on it, saying that false evidence appearing real is only a concept that is not happening at all in the present moment. You are fearful of something that's a potential future. However, I have seen that many people began to debate this topic and to question this uh, conviction, saying that, well, how can it not be real? Because I feel the fear in my body. I feel it in my stomach, I maybe have a foggy mind when I think about doing something that I'm afraid of. And maybe the secret, the secret would be to be present. How do you stay present, gentlemen, when you feel that sometimes fear starts creeping in? What are your thoughts about this? You know, I, just as I refer to the deeper non-conscious self as pathfinder, trying to send guidance, trying to send help and resources to the conditioned brain, I call the conditioned brain gatekeeper. And it's not you that has the fears. It is gatekeeper, the brain that has the fears. And using this third person approach, where you talk to your brain, your gatekeeper, as if they were a separate person, changes things because we, hear, we find it easier to have compassion for others than for ourselves. So when you feel the fear, you say, ah, 
that's gatekeeper, the conditioned mind, brain. Yeah, he has fears or she has fears as you wish. That's the person who has fears. And then you simply say, and that's okay. It's perfectly all right to have those fears. How do we move from the fear forward? And then you ask the question, the pathfinder's question, where is my most fulfilling path forward here? And then you just look and see what comes up next. And that allows a space for the fear to disappear because fear follows thought. Thought has to come first. And when the thought stops, the fear stops. That's all I would do. Just ask the deeper self the question and listen and see what comes up. This is a great perspective. And this gets me thinking, uh, I just got this um, idea right now, that uh, I used to refer to fear as a worried mother in the past. And how do you treat a worried mother? You can't tell her, leave me alone. You are not right. I want to do this. I'm not going to be in trouble. Just let me put this in practice now. Obviously, the worried mother is going to be even worried. And you will end up not doing that thing. But as you say, Peter, acknowledging it, just accepting it. Because this is the, one of the best approaches to everything. Accept it, acknowledge it. Yes, I have fear. It's okay. But I can do this. And I can do this. Never keep your butt out of the way. You know, mine's rather large. I have to keep it out of the way. Yes, I have fear. And that's okay. And I'm going to do this anyway. You are so right. The nuance here. Not yeah. use something that is contradictory. I love it. Oh my goodness. We need to be mindful of the words that we use with every single chance that we get to be present and uh, see what our thoughts are all about. Rick, what do you think about this? Well, it's funny, um, you know, Roxy, when you, were, when you said the worried mother, um, that's a perfect metaphor. Um, in, all, in all my work around fear, I talk about programming. and. I had a worried mother. So when I was a kid growing up, I was like Isabel, climbing and jumping and just, you know, deliberately diving off of everything and not worried about breaking anything, including myself. And my mother was worried about everything. You're going to lose an eye. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to break your neck. She said all these phrases. And of course, none of those things happened. So I learned very early that she was just worried about things that were never going to happen. And so I just used the data and I compared the, the information she gave me with what actually happened. I, I think it was math, simple math. It ended up none of the things that she worried about ever happened. So I became confident that that was, that fear was the worry and that was, you know, where it was coming from. So you know, of course, I evolved over time. And as Frank mentioned, becoming aware is key. But I think we have to look at the programming. So if you're if you're watching this show today or listening, what is your programming? Where did you come from? How how did you become afraid of the things that you fear right now? Maybe you have some data in your own life that you failed. But we also have data showing that people who fail more are much more successful. So it depends what you choose to look at. So if you say, I failed once, I'll never try another thing. I have data for you that says, I've failed 
tens of thousands of times, and I've tried hundreds of thousands of things and succeeded much more often. So for any data you have and any programming you have, I can give you some alternate programming and data, which will show why you should take chances, why you should do the things, and why you should follow Roxy. So kind, Rick, as always. Oh, my goodness. This has been very inspiring. And I have to acknowledge one more time what Peter said. I'm loving the gatekeeper, putting fear as a third person out there. That has really nothing to do with you because your heart, your spirit is not afraid. You want to explore. You're curious. As Rick said, Isabel, very curious. She wants to do, learn, jump. It's how we get to evolve. And I have this uh, interesting question for you today before we go. If your 10-year future self would return to the present moment today and would have an advice for you, what would that advice be? 10 years from now, looking back, um, I think... Uh, I think about COVID not only as a terrible uh, disease, but as a master teacher. And COVID, if you look at it from that perspective, told me something. It completely, no, not completely, it turned around my life. I haven't had so much business right now than for years. I'm so joyful to do this. I met two of my best friends, never alive, and we are announcing here now, I'm coming over to the U.S. in the beginning of May, and we're going to have a retreat for our, yeah, for our audience. And you know why, Roxy? Because if I look at the, if we look at the statistics in the U.S., it's booming, and we don't know how. Yes, we know. We know. We don't pretend to be something special. We are just guys on Route 66 meeting every Thursday at the regulars' table discussing things about life. The fact that I'm able to do that, the fact that it happened in my life has to do that I embraced my situation as it was. But because in the first lockdown here in the Netherlands, I lost all my assignments and all what I had was my savings account. So about fear, false evidence appearing real. I was thinking about the past, worrying about the future, but not stop in the moment. The one thing what happened there was because of the lockdown, the streets were empty. And I felt a kind of well, peacefulness emerging. I said, what's happening, Frank? I feel peaceful and you don't have any income yet. And that was the beginning, looking back, the change moment. And I think in 10 years from now, it's not about sharing, uh, uh, selling our stocks and that kind of stuff. It's looking back having met wonderful, wonderful people like you and my two friends doing great stuff, having roadshows, but not having roadshows. And now they will be completely redesigned and completely new and completely done. Nobody has ever done the things we have done. I'm sure of that. And they say, wow, how did this guy do that? Well, they did it. And I look back and I say, well, this is great. What you think about and think about, you bring about. That's my mantra. Powerful. Rick, what do you think? Wow. That was a mic drop, Frankie boy. <laughs> you, you asked me to do it. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I wrote a note on this. I, I wrote, 
keep thinking of others and how this legacy supports so many people who need it. So 10 years from now, our future selves will tell us, just like Peter told you, keep doing this because this information, even if it's one tiny sentence each day that touches one person, changes the world. In, in Dr. David Hawkins' book, Power Versus Force, he says that one person vibrating at the level of 500 or above, which is the level of love, can influence and impact 750,000 people hmm. vibrating below those levels. So all I do every day is just go out into the world and say, if I have love in my heart and a smile on my face, no matter how I feel, I'm going to change somebody else's life. And then that person could be the next Frank or Peter or Roxy. And that's what I was put here for, is to just make those connections and to let you all know you have permission to be your highest self. You know, my, my wife is the psychic one. She could predict better than I what my future self would say. I sometimes think that Rick and Frank stand in for my future self in giving me encouragement and, and suggesting things. But I think that my future self would be happy and said what you did in focusing on fulfillment in the journey rather than putting your life on hold while you waited for your uh, goals to be achieved is what gave you the best outcome, the best versions of those goals you have. So that is what I would say. Focus on the journey. Focus on the fulfillment between the bus stops, the train stops, the pit stops, and then you'll find that the outcomes are much more fulfilling than you could have even imagined. I'm taking notes like I've never done before. I'm loving this. This is inspiring me. This is beautiful and empowering. And I'm so grateful for this talk today. And as you said, if this talk, Rick, has... Uh, been uh, today scheduled by what happened in the past oh my goodness am i happy to have been through everything just to enjoy this beautiful empowering talk that is making me very happy and a bit emotional oh my goodness this this is rick's fault one more time it's his fault because he got you guys to have this amazing podcast together and once again he is to blame for taking the best out of us. Thank you very much, gentlemen. This has been such an honor, such a pleasure. Please tell everyone, please tell to our fearless friends watching us and listening to us, how can they get in touch with you? The roadaheadcafe.com, good place to start. It's our little website. And then all of our individual things are on there. Rick and Frank and I are on LinkedIn. But the roadaheadcafe.com uh, will definitely get you there, get you started. Wonderful. Well, you are going to have so much more fans starting from today, since I'm pretty sure that everyone will be very curious to hear at least one episode and to get in touch with you, to be inspired and motivated and to have fun. Oh my goodness, I have been keeping a smile on my face, being both emotional. You're taking people in this roller coaster of emotions and states. And this is just awesome, to put it simple. Thank you so much for being with me today. I am very privileged. And I can't wait to share your guys' messages and mission and episodes further and forward with our 
audience. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you.